the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Episode 15, is that right? I think it is. I'm not a big math whiz, but according to my sources, according to my team here at America First, we are launching the 15th episode of the Battle for 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue with our good friend, regular guest on America First and co-host of this special podcast. He is a member of the Trump 2020 Campaign Advisory Board, former special assistant for President Trump. You can follow him at Boris EP on Twitter. We call him the Baron. Baron Epstein, welcome back to America First. Thank you so much, my friend. It's good to be here. We've been having a lot of fun on Twitter. Yes. Lots going on. <laughs> just, uh, you actually just hit one of my tweets about this, the wonderful CNN climate town hall they're having with the, none other but the major, uh, the, the major expert. Um, actually, I think it's a health town hall, the major expert, Greta Thunberg. It's, and, it's uh, a coronavirus panel. Coronavirus. So not even climate. No, 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 nothing to do with climate. It's to do with the virus that came from the Wuhan province of China. And Greta Thunberg is going to be on CNN's panel on that incredibly um, unrelated issue. I mean, it's just outrageous. How dare you? (laughs) Had to be done. Are they going to give her, like, toys to play with when she's there? (laughs) I don't know, but uh, the the fact that CNN actually thinks can it get any worse? It's, it seems to be like they, they get to the bottom of the of the gutter, then they get into the sewer, and then it just becomes a piling, festering heap of garbage, and then they do something like that. I mean, it's a total joke, you know. I, and I and I tweeted this. It's sort of the, really sad for the people who you know, have had serious jobs, right? So the other two are a former head of the CDC under the Obama administration, and then Kathleen Sibelius. I mean, these are serious people. Right, and then they have and to then, sit and down a, oh, serious with, with Greta serious Thunberg. Right, serious people who have made a ton of mistakes and who are horrible in their jobs, but at least, you know, you know they're serious adults. And what does CNN do? CNN's like, you know what? You know what's a good idea? You know what we really need to do here? We really need to put them on a panel with Greta Thunberg. No, it is indicative of what uh, my former colleague, I think now I can recognize him since he's left the administration as well, Andy Sarabian, who shared an office next to me in the White House. He just calls it the fake news industrial complex. Sarabies. Oh, Sur- yes, Sarabies. That's what he goes by on Twitter. Pretty, He's a right-hand man for Donald Trump Jr. He's got a pretty good Twitter game, like my friend Boris. This is the reason that Twitter is so important. Somebody said to me that, you know, uh, the the president's Twitter feed 
has become more important than the media. What do you think about that, Boris? I mean, it's definitely more direct. It definitely has less of a veneer. It's a, it gives the president an ability to connect with the American people in a way that that would be otherwise very hard. Now, it's not necessarily Twitter the company, right? I mean, but no, Twitter, no, no, is no. The, Twitter is the medium and, and an ability to say something quickly, to direct, to direct views quickly, to announce uh, key information quickly. I think it's all, yeah, I think it's, it's very important. And again, it comes across without that you know, veneer, without the, without the spin that you get from the media. So, you know, I, I think it is important but because the media, as you, as you said, has got, have gone nuts. I mean, exactly, as you said, you have former CDC director Richard Besser, former HHS secretary Kathleen Sebelius, who was also a governor, by the way, and before that. And, you know, she had a terrible rollout of the Obamacare website. and, and um, uh, Which cost how much? Do you remember? Uh, tell me. It was billions. It was ridiculous. And it wouldn't work. It was a, a website. A we- how do you spend billions on a website? Right, she could have just. I'm sure some kids somewhere could have done it for her, you know, on on a dime, right? In half an hour. Right. Right. She was governor of Kansas, and so she was head of HHS for five years. And now, and and they're going to sit down and they're going to say, okay, here we have Dr. Richard Besser, you know, former head of CDC, former CDC director. We have former governor, former head of HHS. And you know what? Just because we needed some more brain power, we're going to bring in Greta Thunberg because. She really cares about the environment. You know, I texted somebody at CNN. I said, hey, can my four-year-old be on your next global town hall? <laughs> I mean, listen, if that's what we're doing, why can't my kid get in there? You know what I mean? He runs around, brings us toy cars. Ma- ma- Mayor Culper, I made a mistake. It only cost $834 million. Well, that's what they told you. No, right, 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 right. That's the official estimate. $834 million for a website. So the, the, the CNN town hall is called Coronavirus Facts and Fears. So tell me, is, is Greta going to be talking about the facts or is she going to be talking about the fears? She's going to be talking about how they stole her education. They stole her childhood. Remember, that's what she shouted at us from the United Nations. Come on, hit us with a how dare you one more time. How Come dare on. you? Your wish is my command. <laughs> That is so priceless. It is. Oh, man. Well, it's important to have fun during these difficult it is. times. Uh, when, when, just one last thing before we get to, to – well, it's political as well. I mean, it's all political nowadays. But it, whilst we're talking about the media, we have to mention this moment in the Rose Garden a couple of days ago where a, a so-called journalist who happens to be of Asian extraction asked the president a question – and then he says in response, when it comes to culpability for the virus, COVID-19, he says, well, ask China. Why don't you ask China? Which is a pretty reasonable question since they're the ones where it emanated from. They're the ones right. that shut down evidence, uh, in, jailed people, put people under house arrest. Or not cooperating with or, the investigation. Or, or completely cleaned the, the, the wet market without taking any evidence. And, what and does, the lab. What, and then the lab and the genomic evidence. And then this reporter does what starts screaming, why are you asking me that? Because he asked the question, dum-dum. And I'm giving you an answer, which has to do with China. It's well, just indicative, isn't it, Boris? Well, so here's – I had a lot of problems with that whole scenario. Here's problem one. The, wage, the same reporter was tweeting right before the press conference to talk about who has a mask on, who doesn't. As soon as she has an ability 
to call out the president. And she wants to be seen, and she wants to make news, and she wants to get followers on Twitter. She rips her mask right off. Right. Which tells you what? It's not, it's not about information for the American people. It's about her. It's about the gotcha moment. It's about grandstanding. It's about them totally. becoming the news, not serving the people who they're supposed to be serving. And guess what? The president has been talking about China being the culprit here literally <laughs> right. to anybody and everybody. Right. Okay, he's been Irrespective screaming at, of skin color. Screaming it from the mountaintops. That this is the Wuhan virus, the Chinese coronavirus, talking about how China misled the world and, and cooperated with the WHO in doing so. This has nothing to do with the reporter's ethnicity. It's ludicrous. And by the way, you know what I think? What? It would have been wrong if the president moderated that perspective, yes. moderated that message just because she's of Asian descent. Who oh, actually, cares? actually, moderate. Let, let me ask if Eric is paying attention. I don't know if is Eric, Eric, is Eric, wave at, at Shad. If, uh, are you waving? Eric, can you hear me? Okay, he's there. We have a, a, a cut. It's actually a video cut, and uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, you can see it. Let's talk about moderating. Let's talk about modifying it. This is from Governor Cuomo. <laughs> when I saw this in the rundown for yesterday's show, yesterday's episode of America First, I, I thought it was a typo. I thought Mr. G'd make a mistake. This this isn't right, but it's actually true. So um, not only does Governor Cuomo have an issue with using the name Chinese virus, um, he has a problem with actually saying anything to do with the actual origins. And this is what Governor Cuomo calls the Wuhan flu. When we started this, yes, we have more cases than anyone else. Yes, we had this European virus attack us and nobody expected it. Calling the flu from Wuhan, COVID-19, the European virus. Is he drunk? Was he drunk? I don't know. He was, at, a, he was at his own governor's his gubernatorial press conference, and he says the European that, yeah. virus. It, what, what, what's that about? I, it's nuts. It is absolutely nuts. And it's almost as bad, not quite as bad, as the terrible situation in the nursing homes in New York yes. on Cuomo's watch, that he's completely completely mismanaged. But well, now, well let's be, for those who are not familiar, who, or those who aren't from New York, well, the governor did, and, and he, he admitted he admitted that most of the deaths in New York are from people who are at home and who are at nursing facilities. And one of the first things he did as governor is to send people with coronavirus back to their nursing facilities where the majority of – instead of in hospitals where they could be treated, the majority of people who – and he sounds shocked. And he says, uh, well, it's really weird. Uh, the majority of people who died died at home or in nursing facilities. I that, that's his decision. It's an absolute abdica- abdication of power, yes. abdication of control, abdication of responsibility. And, but the media is still not really taking him to task. They love Cuomo, but of course, anything the president, the president, you know, the president could say, we are going to do everything we can to defeat the virus. And they say, well, what do you mean by everything you can? He did a press conference about America leading in testing, and the same reporter said, well, why are you comparing? Even though three weeks before she was comparing America to South Korea, it's absolutely nuts. The media's perspective is nuts. They're trying to color the American people's view of the president negatively and of the Republican Party negatively. But you know what? Americans are seeing through it. And you saw it yesterday in Wisconsin. Big news. And you saw it in California. Big news. And two key, key elections where Republicans 
won a special election for the House. Now, let, se- but, but hang exactly. on, let, let's start with this, Boris. Um, whenever the result favors the Democrats, um, don't they use the phrase, hey, bellwether election? What, why are the why are these special elections in California, in Katie Hill's district and Wisconsin that favor the Republican candidate? Suddenly they're not bellwethers, Boris. Could you explain that to me? All right, listen. I can't believe you don't understand how this works. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. My man, here's how it works. Okay. If it's good news for Democrats, bellwether, indicative of the future. Bad news for Democrats, crickets. Nothing to see here. Continue walking. Just completely ignore it. That's how it works. And you know what? In the media's view, that's absolutely normal. That's what they believe. It is a total and utter disgusting joke. Mike Garcia in California won that race. He is. This is the first time that Republicans have won a swing district in California, I believe, since the 1990s. So let, let's talk about this. Hillary let, Clinton won that district by seven points. Let's talk about how significant this could be in 173 days. What does it mean that in Wisconsin and in California, in Katie Hill's district, that a Republican is the winner? It's significant because it says something about where the American people are. I mean, the American people do not want the heavy-handed, overreaching arm of the government that Democrats are obsessed with. And you saw what's happening in California. I mean, they're putting sand on skate parks. Yeah. They're now, they now want to extend the stay-at-home order for three more months. It's nuts. So the people of California are saying, you know what? This is not for us. And even though we may be in a, in a blue state, in a, a district that's gone mostly blue recently, we're not going to stand for it. Now, let, let's revisit what you said last week. You, you had a, a, a stroke of genius. Uh, you said that when it comes to the general election in less than three months' time, the, the easiest, the most effective way to couch the choice is for the campaign, for the president, for the GOP, to ask one very simple question. Uh, who's going to deal with China better? Is it going to be Joe Biden, whose son got in bed with China to the tune of more than $1.5 billion when he was vice president? It is, or the, you know, the same man, Joe Biden, who said that China's not a threat. Are you kidding me? It's, it's just another country that we're maybe competing with. Or is it President Trump? Uh, a week after, a week later, do you still hold that? Is that the best tactic out there? What are you seeing? I think so. I think absolutely. I think it is vital for the American people to see the dissonance, the discord between what the Republican Party is and what the Democrat Party is, between who President Trump is and a strong leader, someone who stands up to all our adversaries and our allies, and Joe Biden, who's a total disaster. I mean, he had more awful interviews this week. The one with George Stephanopoulos was an embarrassment. He pretended not to remember that he was involved with General Flynn investigation. And then, oh, yeah, I misunderstood the question. I mean, the guy's a mess. He guy's a mess. He got it handed to him by Peter Hamby from Snapchat who said, you're not popular anymore. How do you respond to that? And, and you know what Joe Biden said? So, oh, young people don't get their news from the Internet. Are you nuts? What? I missed that. He what was, does he think? They get it from the Sunday newspapers? That's what it is. Or the tele- maybe, maybe they get it from the Telegraph. Maybe Morse code. Right, Morse code. Yeah. Or, or a pigeon. Pigeon. Oh, you know, my gosh. So but that's they, good, isn't it? These are all good signs. They are definitely good signs. This is definitely a, a 
an indication that the American people, and you saw that in California, you saw Wisconsin with Tom Tiffany, the American people realize that the Republican Party is the party of getting through this crisis and out of it, and while the Democratic Party is all about spending during the crisis, but staying in it as long as possible. And extending it as long extending as possible. It. Because they don't seem, does it seem to you that the Democrats want to get out of this? Well, look, th- th- this, this is the, the big question I had for, for today's podcast for you, Boris. As somebody who's worked on multiple campaigns, like me in the White House, um, somebody who's worked in the private sector in, in Wall Street, what, what is the most plausible answer for what we're seeing across the country? If we look at the, the messages coming out of Governor Cuomo's office, Governor Newsom in California and, and elsewhere, there seems to be a, a total comfort with the idea of extending the lockdown, whether it's Virginia, New York, California, Massachusetts, just a comfort with extending it. Uh, whilst we have 33 million people added to the unemployment rolls. What, what is driving this? I, I see two plausible scenarios. Maybe I'm missing something. Tell me which one it is or whether it's both or if I'm missing something. something. Number one is, is um, the kind of obvious one, that these people have so indoctrinated themselves or so painted themselves into a corner that the ideology just drives everything. And the ideology is bigger government, bigger government, bigger government, control, control, control. Citizens don't decide. We decide. We're the elites. And number one is the kind of ideological prism explanation. The second one, which is, is, is just cynical beyond description, is the idea that the majority of these states, or many of them, especially California, especially New York, are simply insolvent. Their public pension... Um, commitment is going to bankrupt those states. Therefore, they see this as, you know, Ram Emanuel said, uh, every emergency has to be adequately exploited, never let it go to waste. Um, That this is the time where if they keep people at home, if the economy tanks in these massive states or these significant states, it provides them the requisite leverage over Washington, D.C., over the White House, over President Trump to squeeze more trillions out of the taxpayers' purse to save those states. Uh, is, am I missing something? Which one of those is most likely? Uh, is it combination? What's Boris Epstein It's say? a combination. Okay. It's a combination. It's definitely the first. There's no doubt that the Democratic Party, the left, are blinded, absolutely blinded by their political agenda. The agenda of getting control of the country, getting control of the courts. I mean, look at what's happening, again, to bring up Flint, in, in General Flint's case. You've got this Judge Sullivan, right? And, and it's clear there's no more controversy. The case is dropped. Oh, no, I'm going to allow friend of the court briefings and friend of the court files. From, quote, unquote, Watergate lawyers. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. And that's what the left does now. The left, yeah. the left wants to forget the Constitution. Forget the rule of law. It's, it's, it's inconvenient. It. Remember what Obama said about the Constitution? Oh, I wish I could change, change it. That pesky thing, the Constitution. The, the pesky thing that's only worked for this country for almost 250 years. Right. It's, it really, it, we talk about this a good amount, right? If you look at the history of leftism, at the history of socialism, at the history of communism, at the history of Nazism, all these left-leaning, far-left Dangerous ideologies, they all turn on control of the people, control of the government, yeah, on yeah. tyranny, on dictatorship. And that's what, you, that's what you want from the, that's what the, that's what the left wants to see. 
And, and, and there's no doubt that you're seeing it during this crisis. You know, Bigger, me, what's happening in Georgia and Florida, right? Right. People getting back to work. People getting, getting haircuts. Did, and, you, and did you see that? Did you see Ted Cruz getting a haircut from Shelley Luther, the right. uh, the salon owner, who said, "No, you better put me in prison, Judge. I'm not apolog- I'm not apologizing for wanting to feed my children." And exactly. And what's and what's happening to the numbers? What's happening to the number of the coronavirus numbers over there in Georgia and Florida? They're to- not up. They're no, down. Totally manageable. So to your to your question, there's no doubt that the left is blinded by its power hungriness. Power hunger, no doubt. Now, is, this, uh, is the other issue of their insolvency on the minds of politicians in these states? I, I think it has to be. They know it, you know, especially, especially Cuomo. I actually think Gavin Newsom largely to some degree has done okay. And he's worked with the president and he's found a way. And now, you know, you've got the, more, the localities who are, who are making a lot of mistakes in saying, oh, we want to go longer. And for, you know, with, with, with great exceptions. You know, there's six counties that are saying, guys, we, we don't have a coronavirus problem in California. Right. We're getting back to work. So, yeah, California is so big that there's quite a bit of diversity there. Of course. California is huge, right? California, I think, would be, what, the third biggest economy in the world if it were its own country, the fifth biggest economy. Correct. Cal- California is a huge, you know, a huge state, a country of its own. Texas is the size of France. New York is huge. So these are huge states. So California has looked at it a little differently, whereas, you know, whereas Cuomo has been completely cynical through all this. And now he's getting this back and forth with Rick Scott, the former governor, now the senator from Florida, who, who says, we subsidize you guys all the time. And it's true. <laughs> it is true. It's true. New York is a disaster. I mean, if this, if this crisis did not prove again the Democratic leadership is the worst you could hope for in a bad time, I don't know what could prove it. Because yeah. you have a Democratic governor who, who's effectively killed old people by, by sending them back to nursing homes in their homes. Yeah. And then you have a Democratic mayor, if he can even be called a mayor, who's used this as an excuse to flout his anti-Semitism, to attack the Jewish community. We're talking about de, de, Blasio, de Blasio, Wilhelm, Warner Wilhelm. Warner Wilhelm Jr., right. Who's, His I'm real name, guys, it's, we're not joking. That's no. de Blasio's real name, Warner Wilhelm. How do you go from Warner Wilhelm to Bill de Blasio? Mm, you'd have to ask Warner Wilhelm. Right. So you look at those two people, you look at these two quote unquote leaders, and you know, Cuomo, all he wants to do is go on his brother Fredo's show and joke around <laughs> about the, the, the cooking. Right. Are you kidding me? People are dying. If you take away the state of New York, America would not have a pandemic. No, correct. Exactly. How about that? Exactly. And I'll say, I said it. There it is. If, you, if the state of New York fell in line with the other states of the country, some that have huge cities, Chicago, Philadelphia, Boston, Miami, if New York fell in line and had the same proportions, we wouldn't have a pandemic. We'd have an epidemic. We'd have a, we'd have a problem, but it wouldn't be the, the issue that it is now. Uh, you mentioned uh, Judge Sullivan. You mentioned General Flynn. You've been in the news this week, kind of. That there was this race, this race to declassify the behind-the-doors meetings of Adam Schiff's investigation and the Russia and hoax and everything else. Uh, Rick Grinnell, uh, the great ambassador to Germany, who's now the acting director of national intelligence, said, look, there, there's nothing in here. Uh, I, as director of, uh, of, of uh, national intelligence, I'm going to declassify it. And Adam Schiff, just to get ahead, to try and control the narrative, he released 
hundreds and hundreds of pages of transcripts that he had been hiding because, remember, he told us he had the incontrovertible evidence. But he still doesn't have it, even after the release of those documents. And one of them that I have in my hand that we've been analyzing here is about this chappy. It doesn't call him Baron. I guess they don't know him well enough. But it's it's a long document, executive session of the Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, U.S. House of Representatives, Washington, D.C., interview of Boris Epstein. Boris, you're a free man now. The information is out there. And President Smallwell, he don't come out looking too good now, do he? You know, it was an interesting experience. Um, <laughs> well, interesting. Okay, let me ask you, because people love the personal stuff. Sure. Um, what was it like when you got that piece of paper, when you got that, you got to come and testify behind closed doors? How did you feel, Boris? Walk us through it. I mean, you get the piece of paper, you know, because you got to keep in mind that was, so, you know, still early days. Mm-hmm. One word goes through your mind, which is shit. <laughs> All right. Uh oh. It's not. I wasn't personally worried. I knew I didn't do anything wrong. It's just it's a it's a pain, right? Yeah. So you have to go through it. And it's adversarial. It's, it's not. Adversarial. It's not. It's not. It's you know, people in the government who want your help. It's adversarial. It's and people it's, who want to take down the president, your boss. Correct. And it's political. Yeah. And so I knew that anything that that was shared would be leaked. Um, but again, I knew that I, I had nothing. I had nothing to share. You know, because I. Uh, uh, hang on! I hang on! Hang on! Your name is Boris. Right, but my name is Boris. You right. must be guilty. I, mean. I must be. Isn't that, uh, isn't that a right. Russian name? Uh, well, so to that point. Boris. So you, you, right, you get the letter. Time goes by. I think there were four specific questions around you know, the, 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 what the, uh, the investigation by House Intel was. They asked, what do you know about any of them? We just said, no, nothing. I literally knew. I was, you know, what do you know about Russian cyber activities? Nothing. You know, <laughs> what do you know about collusion? Nothing. You know? So I said, I don't know anything. Like, should have been a really short interview. It should have been very short because my responses on paper were very short. And then they said, well, we still want to bring you in. All right. So I, I, I went in there. It, it, it is an experience. I will tell you, it's an experience. I brought a, a lawyer, a very good, you know, a, a very good uh, single practitioner, an attorney. I think his name's on there, right? Yeah. Um, Chris Amos, who did a great job. And uh, he, you know, he came in with me, and we, we, you, know, we you go into the house uh, on the house side of the Capitol. You go down to the, you know, to the skiff, as they call it, the secure room. And there it was. So I'm at the, I'm at the end of this long table, and the Democrats are on the left, Republicans are on the right. And, uh, you know, and Swalwell's on the left. And so he was the one that was sort of tasked with doing the questioning. He was very obsessed with me being Russian. Yeah. Now, keep in mind, my family came here as Jewish refugees when I was 11. Right. 11. Okay. Uh, you must be a sleeper. It must be like one of right. these movies. You must have been trained. And he would not stop asking me. He started asking me about the 2013 Miss Universe contest and whether I was excited that I was in Moscow. I said, I said, man, to Paris, I said, man, we came here almost 20 years before that. It didn't, it didn't even cross my mind. He goes, well, you know, if, uh, if they bring in, he said something like, oh, I'm from Iowa. When they bring up Iowa, I notice. I said, well, yeah, we left for different reasons than whatever years you left Iowa. We were refugees, right? And he said, well, and then a few times he said, well, as a Russian, and I had to correct him. I said, I'm an American. I've been an American citizen. Good for you. There's, you know, I've been an American citizen now like, for almost 20 years. And I'm not a Russian. I'm an American through and through. I, I love this country more than I love anything in the world and you know, on, on, on the level with my family. That's how much I love America. It's done. America's presented me with opportunities and our, my family with opportunities and with safety as Jewish people. I love this country. 
So to call me a Russian, I thought was disgusting. He started asking, Swalwa started asking me about my wife's ethnicity. Right. Or I think it was either, either him or Jackie Spire, another all-star. So they said, is your, is your wife Russian? I said, no, she's American. And they said, well, does she, does she, is she of Russian descent? I go, well, how far do you want me to go? Something like her great-grandparents? I said, well, that's what descent means, they said. I go, well, listen, I, didn't, I haven't done my wife's genealogy. You know, I haven't done her 23andMe, so I don't know. Maybe somewhere, you know, she's a, a Jewish-American, so she probably has something in her background, you know, 100 years ago from the former Soviet Union or Tsarist Russia. Right. And I don't know why you're asking me about it. The whole thing and that's was just, creepy, though. I mean, let, let me ask you. It was you. very creepy. The whole thing. And I've had people, including people who you know, are well-positioned in, in D.C., who've texted me and said, this bordered, if not went into anti-Semitism. So let me ask you, was there a point at which you realized uh, they have nothing, I know I'm innocent, and you just thought this is a joke? Or was it, was it a constant level of creepiness that kept you on your toes? What was it like? Because you're behind closed doors, you're in a secure facility. What was that experience like? Because it's, it's indicative of what the Democrats have been doing to the president and everybody in his administration who is deemed a target by the radical Democrat Party. You know, I, I knew that I had absolutely nothing to, to hide. Right. To hide. Right. I knew that I did absolutely nothing wrong. So I was never worried. And, I, and if you take time, and you know, I've done it since they came out and read your transcript. There's a lot of sort of me poking at them, you know, shift, shifty shift. You know, kept trying to get at me about about something. So, well, I'm not playing games. And I said, I don't because I don't want to play games. I go, I'm not playing any games. There's no games. You know, I had I was very confident going in there because. What, I, what's your impression of, after you've been there behind closed doors? Talk to us about your take, your understanding of who Adam Schiff is. It's all of them, all of you know, all these folks on the left, they're just lightweights. To be honest with you, yeah. lightweights. They, you know, they could, they could have tried maybe to phrase some questions that, that would have been at least thoughtful, but they weren't. They literally, all they wanted to know about is, hey, I'm Russian, you know. Is your wife we, Russian? Is your wife's great-great-grandmother Russian? Right, right. Is your wife's great-great-great-great-great-bubby who spoke Yiddish Russian? It's like, are you kidding That's me? creepy. That's it was so very, creepy. It was, it was creepy. And you know what? It was, it's more creepy looking back on it, Seb, than it was at the time, right. really. Because, you know, you're in it. You're answering the questions. But now I'm looking back. They asked me. Here's a funny exchange. So Swalwell asks me, have I been back to Russia since we yeah. left? Right. Keep in mind, we left in September of 1993. This is September of 2017. So 24 years. He asked if I've been back. I said, yes, I, I've been, I was back once. Uh, on a cruise. On a cruise, where for, for for how long? How long did your feet touch the ground? And and it was a it was a cruise that I think had two nights in St. Petersburg. It was one of those you know from Denmark to mm-hmm. Norway to you know the whole thing. And and it, I was it was a two night cruise, a two night stop in St. Petersburg. I only got off one of the days, and uh, and he said okay okay. A little later he goes, have you been back to Moscow? I said no. He goes, but you just told me. I said, yeah, that was St. Petersburg. They're you know, you know, he cities. needs. We should buy him an atlas. <laughs> me, I think so. Does he? I does he so. realize that St. Petersburg is not Moscow? I mean, St. Petersburg was the capital, but that was a long time ago, and it still wasn't called Moscow. It, it, St. Petersburg's never been called Moscow. <laughs> 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 President Swalwell, whatever. Oh Petersburg. my God, they're just. They really, you know, can, can I just be honest here? I mean, because this is a podcast, we can be a little bit naughty. Sure. Um, they're creepy, they're bad, but they're just bloody morons. 
I mean, they're they are just they are. You said it. You said it. I mean, I, I mean, they, really, they, this is this is the saving grace. We are up against people who really want to dismantle what we love, but these aren't master geniuses. These aren't you know 185 no, IQ people. They're just dumb, arrogant assholes. Well, so to that point, there was one moment in there where we were talking about where we all went to college and law school, mm-hmm. and I went to Georgetown, as you know, I'm very, yes. I'm the Baron, right? I'm very fancy. <laughs> um, so I went to Georgetown undergrad and law, and Swalwa asks me something about it. Is Georgetown in Moscow? Yeah. He's like, did you know? Yeah, right. Did you, did you, eat, did you, did you eat any borscht while you were in? No. He, so he, and then he said something. He said something to the effect of, it's in the transcript. He said something to the effect of, well, I wasn't smart enough to get into Georgetown. You and think? I, was, I, I don't know what to say. So I was kind of trying to be nice. So I was on the side and go, ah, you're smart enough, Congressman. President. <laughs> president. Don't forget, President I mean, Swalwell. It was a yeah, President Swalwell. It was a surreal experience. Um, and, you know, I am, having read through it, I'm proud of uh, several things in there. I'm proud to have said that, A, obviously that this whole collusion thing is a hoax. I'm proud to have said that we did not focus on whatever nonsense that they were focused on is Democrat, you know, WikiLeaks, whatever. We were focused on tax reform. We were focused on strengthening the country, strengthening the military. And then I'm proud that, you know, in, in, in September of 17, after I had left, the administration, I very proudly said that I continue to support President Trump. And that was uh, very much the truth then. It remains a billion percent the truth now. Um, you know, and, and, and I am very proud of that because, you know, you're sitting there and you've got, you know, a, a handful or more of these Democrats are bearing down on you. You've got Republicans. And the question came, I think it was actually from a Republican member, a fair question of, you know, are there any sour grapes? I said, absolutely not. I believe in President Trump 100 percent. I support him. I plan to vote for him. In uh, 2020, that was back in 2017. I was saying that, so yeah. I'm proud. I'm proud of that. There's you know? a there's a reason that you're now an advisor on the Trump advisory board, the Trump 2020 campaign. Uh, if you like this podcast, if you're enjoying our discussions with Boris every week, tell your friends. Make sure you've subscribed to it on YouTube. Subscribe to this channel. Hit the notifications button, the like button, and tell your friends and. If you go to your podcast app, whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, whatever it is, give us a little review. We would love that. We get texts. We get DMs about how you love this stuff. Send a little message because that means more people will know. Spread the message. Um, we, we have to dis- – I do, I do want to tell you something, yeah. though, on a serious note. Go about ahead. That experience and the experience that many, many of us you know, who were very involved in the campaign had to go through. Because some of them – I mean, if you read Hope Hicks's, it's just disgusting. I mean, what, what they do to Hope Hicks behind closed doors right. is just disgusting. So what I want to say about that is that, you know, I'm a, you know I've sort of grown a thick skin. And, right. you know, I think of myself as a, as, a, as a strong guy, tough guy. But, you know, my parents had to read about me going in for that interview. Yeah. You know, it was all CNN splashed it everywhere. You know, somebody stuck a mic in my face when I went in there. And Brian Stelty Stelter, Tater Stelter tweeted about it, you know. These are, you know, we're human beings, right? Who no, 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 not to the left, right? Not to the left. Not to the left. We, we, we have to be dehumanized. Right. This is the Saul Alinsky tactic: you triangulate, you isolate, you destroy. 
When, when I was in the White House, when I became a face of, of the, the travel moratorium that I had to defend, I became a target. And, right. and Boris, it's, it's, it's not just, you know, Stelter tweeting about you and your parents being worried about you having to testify. It's when, they, when the left wing, when one, jour- one journalist wrote 52 hit pieces on me in a, in a matter of months. Really? Which one was that? It's, it's, it's for um, the forward, theforward.com. Uh, when when you see them, not only att- I get it, you're going to attack me. I get it. I'm a deputy assistant to the president. I'm I'm a proxy. But when they come after my wife, right. when they attack my dead mother in, right. in, in, in in quote unquote journalism, and then when one of them, the same guy from the forward, writes an attack piece not against me, but against my 18 year old son, in which they use in the headline the word traitor to describe my 18-year-old son who's a high school age young boy. I mean, that's when you realize this right. isn't politics. This it's isn't, a the, rough, this isn't the rough and tumble of, of, of the beltway. This is all-out political warfare. And they truly believe that the end, their objective, justifies any means. It's disgusting. So, you know, what you went through, what, you know, and I'm not, we're not victims. We're not here. No, we're not complaining. We just want people to understand. Just exactly. We're sharing. And what's worrisome, right? So you've got a reporter attacking you. You've got reporters who attacked you. You've got elected officials attacked you. And then these hearings, they're conducted by the leaders of our country. I mean, Adam Schiff is right now the chairman of the House Intel Committee, right? These are these are Congress people, and then you had it on the Senate side as the Dems as well. I mean, it's just it it talks about again what we sort of talked about earlier is the deep deep cynicism yeah. on the left. Right. And you know we can sit here and I can laugh about the transcript, and I do. But I'll tell you this: I was I was okay with it throughout. It was no laughing matter for my parents. No laughing matter for my wife. You know, these are. Can, can I tell you what, what it's really about? So it, it, it's, it's about a political war for them that, you know, the, the, the enemy has to be destroyed. We're, we're not human. That's, that's why they, they so badly about the word fascist. I mean, they use fascist in a way that just has denuded that word of any content. But one of the real purposes of what they do, and you know this and I know this, is they want to make it impossible for decent people to even consider working in a conservative administration. Yes. That, that, that's the objective, because when they see what, what happens to you, if you go in, not, not as a, you know, a bureaucrat, but if you go in as a political appointee, they want you to feel that you will be destroyed. And look, look at Mike Flynn. Mike Flynn, right. $3 million, $3 million in lawyer's fees, and no crime committed. The DOJ said there was no predicate for what they did and he was a former three-star general director of the dia 33 years in uniform and he was the national security advisor now let me ask you this question because this is the battle for 1600 podcast Mm -hmm. Um, we just found out thanks to documents that were given to Sidney powell Mike Flynn. And Mike, full disclosure, not only did I work with him in the White House, I worked for him in the presidential transition team, and I consider him to be a friend, and we're in regular touch, and, you know, full disclosure. Um, we now know, thanks to documents that Sidney Powell, his new attorney, acquired through at- the Attorney General of the United States, that President Obama knew more 
about the operation right. to take down yep. Mike Flynn than the deputy attorney general of the United States that worked for him. We have the memos. We have the FBI DOJ memos from the January 5th meeting, 15 days before the inauguration that installed President Trump, where where the deputy attorney general, Sally Yates, is in a, in a meeting with Comey, uh, with, with, with the president, and she says in the notes afterwards, um, I didn't know we were spying on, on Lieutenant General Flynn. I had to listen to what Obama was telling us. I mean, right. how important – this is the question for this podcast because I always want to keep us, you know, on message because this is – you know, we created this podcast for a reason. It's not about everything. It's about, you know, what's happening in 173 right. days. How important is that, Boris, that we now have the proof from the then administration that the president knew about the – counterintelligence surveillance operation to take down President Trump's future national security advisor. And it goes beyond that, I'm sure, right? Of course. You remember when when President Trump tweeted in 2017 that Obama was wiretapping me, and they laughed. They laughed. They laughed went nuts. And you know what? It all turned out to be right. It's all true. Surveillance on surveillance. And there's no doubt now that FISA warrants, multiple FISA warrants. President uh, President Trump was right. President Obama knew, Vice President Biden, maybe he doesn't remember it because he doesn't remember a lot of these things, you know, because <laughs> he's not the same person he used to be, right. but Biden knew, and this investigation is going to go forward. It's going to, it's going to continue. We are going to know. Is this going to be a factor? Though? That, well, that's what I'm interested in. the election, the fact that we, we didn't know, now we know that Obama, it went all the way to the top. The biggest political scandal in modern American history. Is this going to be a factor when people go to the polls, or is it all going to be about economics, Boris? It's going to matter, and I'll tell you why. Because Biden is just an attempted retread of Obama. So you have yes. a candidate who's running on the Obama presidency, and now it's clear that the ending of the Obama presidency was all about putting together an attempted coup. I'm going to say it, attempted coup of President Trump against President Trump. Right. And you look at all the characters. You look at John Brennan. You look at Clapper. You look at, you look at Sally Yates. And then you look at the, the corrupt, crooked leadership of the, of the FBI. Look at Susan Rice. All of these people are at the top, top, top echelon of the Obama presidency toward the end. So is it going to matter? I think it's going to matter. I think it's going to be a major message. And just just like the 302 notes for Hillary Clinton mattered. I went on TV. We talked about it you know, last week. I went on TV and talked about them breaking blackberries with their hammers. Right. Well, the things we find out from the John Durham investigation, the things we find out over the next six months are absolutely going to matter because they are going to be talked about far and wide, and they're going to be talked about at the debates, where you better believe Donald yes. Trump is going to crush Joe Biden. And 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 and, ab- and this will absolutely be an issue, Joe Biden. You were the vice president. Why did President Obama and the people who worked for the two of you attempt an overthrow of a democratically, wow. legitimately elected president? Wow, that's going to be the question for the ages. Is there going to be a moderator who asks it, though, Boris? Well, let's hope so. Let's hope so. You know, Ronna McDaniel made a good point. She said that any any network which had Joe Biden on after the Tara Reid allegations surfaced and did not ask him about it, should be disqualified from holding a debate. And I agree with that 100%.
Good stuff. Any final message as uh, we see America slowly, at least half of the states, slowly get back to work? Boris, what's your message for our listeners, our viewers of the Battle for 1600? My message is a message of hope. Stay hopeful. Stay optimistic. Stay careful. But also stay vigilant. Don't believe everything you hear from most of the mainstream media. Don't believe the fear and, and the oppression and the depression that they're trying to put on you. Remember that most of the country is getting closer back to normal. Right. Follow the guidelines, follow what President Trump says, and follow the leadership of our president because he's the one that is getting us through this and is going to get us back to where we were or better. He said he will, and you know he'll get it done. Follow President Trump. Believe in our president. Remember, he's done it before he can do it again. Be part of the solution. Go to DonaldJTrump.com. Check out every piece of information there. Register. Become part of the solution. And also, if you like our podcast, follow Boris EP on Twitter. Check out BreakfastWithBoris.com. I'm Seb Gorka on Twitter. That's S-E-B-G-O-R-K-A radio show. Every single day, three hours a day is America First. You can find all the information, our segments with Boris, our special monologues. Just go to SebGorka.com, S-E-B-G-O-R-K-A. I'm Sebastian Gorka. Be safe, my friends. Be safe, thanks.